glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, stand with me if you would. We'll begin reading in Jude verse 11, just to recap where we've been and then move us forward into where we are tonight. It says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, we ended last week looking at the statement in verse 16 that these are men who, who are murmurs and complainers walking after their own lusts. He'll mention that again in this uh, set of verses tonight that they walk after their own lusts and their mouth speaketh great swelling words. That word swelling carries the idea of puffed up. Uh, their words are puffed up with pride, great swelling words. Having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. We consider that statement, they admire people that they believe give them an advantage. So they they admire people of high positions of influence and seek that out, these kinds of men. They, are, they have people, men's persons in admiration because of advantage, meaning they are respecters of persons. Uh, if you have more influence for their ministry or their life, they're going to like you better. And so that's the way that works. Verse 17 begins with the two words, but beloved. And that changes the tone here in this small book. He had last used that word beloved in verse 3 when he mentions why he had written unto them that they might earnestly contend for the faith. And so he comes back to that again and says, but beloved. This is just a reminder tonight. Uh, Beloved means exactly what you think, well loved. Uh, And the idea is that words of warning about spiritual danger are based in love for those that are they are being given to we're in a culture that despises almost despises this kind of instruction where if it's negative 
I said a culture. I didn't say that's true necessarily in this room, or you probably wouldn't be here tonight. But uh, there is a there is a there is the itching ear syndrome. There is a culture today that is heaped unto themselves teachers having itching ears. Very interesting. I heard a good message at a preacher's fellowship on Tuesday out of Second Timothy four, reminded again of the time coming when men would not heap to themselves preachers but teachers, mere givers of information that many times fills people's heads with spiritual knowledge but has no result in spiritual progress or growth, it is necessary that we would be warned about spiritual dangers, especially wolves, if you would. And so God's Word takes time to do this. So Jude, having issued all these warnings, reminds them again, but beloved, he's going to remind them, I'm writing to you because you are loved of the Lord, you are loved of, of me. And so he says, But beloved, remember ye the words, excuse me, which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. It seems to me that he understands, and of course, again, these are given by inspiration of the Spirit of God, that such words can have a, a, a depressing impact on your spirit. When you read about ungodly men that have crept in among you, there's a bit of a, a, of a gentle rebuke in the book of Jude that these men were able to weasel their way in. And we know they're, they're clever at that. I was reading a commentator today, and he points out the fact that Satan sows, the enemy sows the tares while men are sleeping. Sleeping. And the point was made, and I think it's a valid point, spiritual apathy creates an opportunity for apostates. Spiritual apathy creates an opportunity for apostates to advance, and I believe that is, that's not in any way... There's no, that's not taking the word of God beyond where it's at. He will remind them in the first part of Jude, and he'll remind them in the end of Jude that they need to remember things they already knew. Jude's not telling them new biblical content. He is reminding them of things they already knew, but they weren't thinking about. Many times the things that would protect us spiritually are not things we don't know. It's things that we know, but we've not taken time to stir up or recall to our memory you know as well as I do, if you learned some rotten song 20 years ago, you don't have to remind yourself how it goes. Here are the first three notes and you'll remember the rest. But when it comes to the Bible and you learned a Bible verse 20 years ago, you've got to work on it once a week or you'll forget it. Isn't it true? There, and beyond the, the, the mere knowledge of what the Bible says, the understanding of what it means must be constantly stirred must be constantly revisited. And so we'll get into a few things tonight that Jude's going to say to them when he says, but beloved, as I said, he's shifting gears. Now he's going to go from identifying these, these ungodly men, these false teachers, these, as we would call them, apostates, to here's what you need to do, beloved, because of the truth that these men are among you, here's what you need to do. You'll hear people say today, uh, one of the best things you can do for your health is to boost your immune system. And it's true. Um, I take some vitamins and some things that I hope help my immune system. Try to um, uh, not do anything that's working for magic, but trying to uh, sustain and maintain some health. So I, I like prevention better than cure. Amen? And so I believe what Jude's going to say is, spiritually speaking, these men are here and they're among us, and the best thing for you to do is to be strengthened spiritually so that you don't fall prey to them, not only so you don't fall prey to them, but so you can snatch other people from them 
who've been taken prey. Uh, very interesting the way it's worded here. In the end, we're very familiar with Jude 22 and 23, and we'll say more about that when we get to it. But I want to see tonight three things, and again, I don't know that we'll get through all three of these because there's a fair amount of content in these number of verses, 17 through 23, that we need to consider. He's going to give them three things they need to do as the beloved of God in response to the truth of apostasy and apostates. Number one, in verses 17 through 19, there's a call to the people of God to remember. That's what he says. He uses the same language as we said earlier, I believe back in verse 5. He says in verse 5, I will therefore... So he says, let me back up just a little bit, uh, in verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, I will therefore, so because of these ungodly men, put you in, what's he say? Remembrance. Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, and so on and so forth. They start talking about the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah. Then they refer to Korah and Dathan and Abiram. Now here, he's going to shift gears, and he follows a similar pattern with Peter in Second Peter, and that is to reference them back to the Old Testament, but then plug them into New Testament apostles. Already, by the book of Jude, the concept of using Old and New Testament is in place. I think that's very interesting. So he says here, in the first part of Jude, he reminds them of what they knew from Old Testament Scripture, but then here in verse 17, he says, But beloved, remember ye the... And what's the next word in your Bible? The words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want us to move past this too quickly, meaning there was an ability in the mind of the people Jude was writing to to identify, he doesn't say the ideas, the concepts, he says the words, plural, of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, it's called the doctrine of the apostles. Uh, so they continued steadfastly in the in the doctrine. Let me, let me turn there. Acts chapter two. Let's let's read that very quickly. Acts chapter two. It's what we have preserved for us in our Bible today. That's the New Testament. Makes up the New Testament. At least the bulk of it uh, is the, the 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 doctrine of the apostles. They continued steadfastly. The Bible says in the first part of Acts. I'm going to get there in just a second. Acts chapter two. I believe is where I want to be. In verse uh, 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So when Jude says uh, that he would have them remember, he says, Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. These believers knew there were words that the apostles, the apostles had been committed to them, had committed to them, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was their job to take the truth concerning Jesus Christ that he committed to their trust and pass it on to others. There was a distinction in the mind of the hearers of the words of other people out here and the words of the apostles, meaning even at this point in, in, in the history of, of church and of churches, there was, a, there was a knowledge of the preserved or the word of God that God was giving through the apostles. So you could identify that's what the apostles taught. There were, various, um, there were various false doctrines already going around counterfeiting the gospel, and there was the ability to distinguish and say, now is that what the apostles taught? 
Is that what the words of the apostles were? Did the apostles say that the... It's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15 as an apostle. There were those saying that the resurrection had already taken place. He says in Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians 15, there were those saying there was no resurrection. So there are already false doctrines coming out. And the apostle Paul had said, no, no, no. There is a resurrection. If not, our faith is in vain. There were those in Acts chapter 15 saying you had to be circumcised to be saved. James and Peter and Paul stood and said, not so. It's by the faith of Jesus Christ we're saved. And if you're saved by him, here's some things you ought to avoid and some things you ought to do. The apostles laid a foundation for our faith. Our faith rests on the words of the apostle. I've met some people that say, I only believe the words in red in the New Testament. What they mean is the words that were specifically recorded that came from the mouth of Jesus, the rest I reject. This tells us that Jude is saying the words of the apostles are as authoritative as the very words of Jesus Christ. So you ever read some of the epistles from the apostles, we can see already that the expectation of our God is to pay attention to the words he has now preserved for us in this Bible. And here's what the lesson is for us. When it comes to dealing with apostates, number one, you and I must be rooted in the Bible. Now that's not rocket science, but it is because there is so much out there today that you can read about religion, that you can read about faith in Christ. There's so much done in the name of Christianity that you can read. There are more books to read about the Bible available to us today than there's ever been. Content is more available to us. And if we're not careful, we cheapen, uh, we cheapen our, our, we, how should I say, we, we do ourselves a disservice by not being grounded simply on what the Bible says. That's what Jude's saying. He is referring to what was already Scripture in the Old Testament and what was becoming Scripture in the New Testament, saying this is what you must be anchored on. Remember what you know about the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment of the angels and uh, these things that you know and already are familiar with from the Old Testament, Korah and Dathan and Abiram and how God judged these people and remember the words of the apostles. This is the same method the apostle Paul used in Second Peter chapter 3. Turn there with me if you would. So first of all, the call to remember is the words of the Scripture. He says, remember ye the words of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 3, Paul says this, or Peter says this, speaking of apostates, he begins the chapter talking about uh, the fact that scoffers would come. It's the exact same word as mockers used in Jude. Uh, those, there would be those that would be mockers. And here in Second Peter... It's scoffers uh, that would scoff at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he says this, and let me back up just to verse 8. He says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. Excuse me, let's go back just a little bit, a little bit further. He says in verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, and what, how does he identify them? Walking after their own lust, and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, so on and so forth. I believe this is part of what Jude's talking about. One of the apostles that had said scoffers or mockers are going to come would be Peter. Now we can scoot on down, if you would, all the way down to verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. What these 
these men teaching these saints uh, toward the end of the first century, what they're teaching them is you rely on the Old Testament Scripture and the New Testament Scripture. The Scripture that was settled in the Old Testament and the Scripture that's being given by the apostles. And for us, the call to remember is a reminder that if you want to be ready for dealing with an apostate, you must anchor back what you believe to the written Word of God. The written words of God remind us uh, uh, that the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt, uh, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Matthew twenty four thirty five. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And here Jude says, Remember ye the words which were spoken of the apostle. How many of us understand words matter? <laughs> Words matter. Words are what create meaning. This is why there's been such a heated debate and, 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 and back and forth over Bible translation. Sometimes by well-meaning people with integrity trying to do a right job, but oftentimes between people who want and love the Word of God and people who don't. When you have a Bible translation that removes 64,000 words, that matters. Do you realize that's the difference between the King James and the NIV? 64,000 words. That's 64,000 words you're not going to remember (laughs) because you can't remember something you don't ever know. My point is this, that Satan, our adversary, and those who work for him know that words and the words of God matter, and that's why he attacks the words of God. And it's why it it is vital for you and I to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. You know what I'm understanding here in verse 17? Jude expected those he's writing to to have their faith founded on, but not only founded on, but for them to have a familiarity, a working knowledge of all Scripture that was available to them. He expected them to know who Korah was. He expected them to know who Dathan and Abiram were. He said, these are things you knew. He expected them to know about the account of Sodom and Gomorrah out of the book of Genesis. He expected these people to have a faith that was grounded on the Bible. May I say this? When I find someone who claims to be a Christian that belittles Bible knowledge, my red flags go off. It is incumbent upon us as Christians to know and not only know the content, but the context and the meaning of our Bibles. If not, we are sitting ducks for apostates. They will take advantage of our ignorance. They'll take advantage uh, of the ignorance of God's words and they'll replace the things that God's words would teach us to live by faith. And they'll replace it with their ideas and their imaginations in order to take advantage of us. And so Jude says, here's how you respond to the apostates. Remember the Bible. Remember the Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. Know it, remember it, call it to mind. So we need to know the words of the Scripture and all, obviously the wisdom of the Scripture. He said, um, verse 17, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what did they say? How that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time. By the way, we just read one of the texts where they, Peter told them. There should be mockers in the last time uh, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts these be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having not the Spirit. It seems to me that what knowing the Scripture would do is help these people in, in a few ways. Number one, it's going to give them the caution. 
Remember the apostles told you this was going to happen. And the Lord told them what to say. So don't forget that they told you this. So don't let it catch you off guard. Don't let this throw you that this is somehow uh, a success in overthrowing the faith of the gospel. This was foreseen of God. This is part of what God knew was coming down the pike. So he, ha- he told the apostles to tell you. And so remember, they told you this, that this would happen. That gives clarity. And when you have this caution with such clarity, it really gives us comfort. I believe these words are comforting words. Meaning, these people might be reading all that Jude is saying, thinking, oh no, we're losing. And I believe Jude reminded them, that this caught God by surprise. Remember, you've already been told this, so if you'll remember the Scripture, it'll go a long way in securing your faith and keeping you from being shaken and terrified by people that that's exactly what they want to do. Look at Romans chapter 15 with me, if you would, very quickly. Romans chapter 15. I've been saying much lately, and I'm going to continue to say it, that it is good for us to read our Bibles, but it's not good enough. We need to be students of our Bibles. As a, as a, as a Christian, again, you can hear Jude's expectation is that they would know and remember the words of the apostle and test and try what they were seeing and experiencing by what they knew from the Scripture. What he's dealing with is the apostles had prophetically spoken, and if they were paying attention to prophecy, it wouldn't throw them. You know what, today, you know the people today, right now, while the world is going mad, the people with the greatest amount of peace are? Those who know what the Bible says. And those who know what the Bible means. If you've read the Bible, you know what's going on in the world right now must go on. Not that God wants people warring with each other, but He foretold us this would come. He said before His return, there would be wars and rumors of wars, and because iniquity would abound, the love of many would wax cold. And he said that we were not to let these things trouble us to the point of not trusting him. And so knowing and believing your Bible will keep you anchored and solid and sound in the face of the those who blow around like boisterous wind and clouds and all of those things as they were described. So Romans 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The reminder of Jude to those who were listening to him talk about these ungodly men was don't forget what the scripture says. He reminded them of that in Jude verse 5. He reminds them again. He says, I'm going to remind you. It's interesting. Peter did the same thing. He said, I'm going to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. I'll say this. It is wrong of us as preachers if we're slothful, so we just constantly preach the same things over and over again. That would be wrong. But I've also heard criticism. Not necessarily, I've never received this personally. But I've heard criticism of preachers of, well, they're just repetitive. They're, just, they're always preaching the gospel, and they're just repetitive. And there's a need for repetition so that we remember. Jude says, I'm telling you things. Peter said the same thing. There are things you're well established in, but I'm going to tell them to you again. You need to hear it again because it's for you. Paul said it this way. For you it is safe. Paul said the exact same thing. I'm going to tell you some things you already know, but for you it is safe. This is about your spiritual protection, though you know certain things in the Bible. And again, may we hear it tonight. It is the expectation of God that we should be extremely familiar with what the Bible says and what it means. I pray God, I feel like if I knew as a pastor, someone asked you, well, what do you believe about such and such? If your default answer was, well, you'd have to ask our pastor, I really don't know. 
I would feel like an utter failure as a pastor. That is not success. I understand there are some difficult questions that someone who's in the Bible all the time, that's all they do, might have. But for basic questions about why we believe what we believe, why we stand where we stand, you should be able to hear a preacher who believes that you can lose your salvation and take your Bible and cut that message to shreds. As, the, as, a, as a Christian, not as a preacher, and yes, as a preacher, but as a Christian, you ought to be able to hear somebody telling you that God chose you to be saved against your will and take your Bible and say, that can't be right. Because the Bible says, amen? We ought to be able to hear somebody preaching the health and wealth gospel and not only know instinctively, man, something's wrong with that. We ought to be able to say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say, didn't our Lord say, take up the cross? And you see, we ought to know our Bibles well enough that when we hear something that is in conflict with it, that we can say, that's not right. The, the, the greatest deterrent to error is a heart filled with truth. Not only with the knowledge of the truth, but the understanding of the truth. And the understanding cannot come if there's not a submission to the truth. And so, point being is tonight, Jude says the first thing you need to do is remember what the apostles said. Remember the words of the apostle. Acts 17, 11, the Bible tells us that these were more noble and those in, in, in uh, um, the Bereans were more noble uh, because they, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Second Timothy 2.15, they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they, they searched the scriptures daily. Second Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that he is not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we may say, well, that was to Timothy. He was a preacher, right? But he was also told to be an example of the believers. And the example of studying to show ourselves approved Christian, it is vital that we know our Bibles. And I'll just say this again. I'm going to be very careful because I think it is, I think it's detrimental to a church to say something like this. You, you know, you just need to hear preaching here. Look, when you can hear other solid Bible preachers, one of the reasons we want other preachers to come in is because the truth in two or three mouths establishes that it's truth. So just like we just did tonight, we read about Jude writing about men who had come walking after their own godly lust. Then you read Peter. You know what that does? The effect is, oh, that wasn't Jude's take or Peter's take. That's a message from God. And so I wouldn't dare say, don't ever listen to it. No, you find good Bible preaching and listen to it. But be careful. Because we live in a world where it's easier to let somebody else tell you what the Bible says and means than to study it and know it yourself. And it's important that we don't let someone else's commentary on the Bible replace what the Bible says. Does that make sense? We need to know our Bibles and test what we hear against what the Scripture says by the help and the direction of the Holy Spirit of God within us. And that's what Jude's saying. It's interesting to me. This is, this is, this is Baptist methodology right here when the word Baptist wasn't around hardly. And that is, you, remember, Jude doesn't say, you listen to me because I'm telling you. He says, remember the words of the apostles. Remember what the Old Testament Scripture says. He is basing the authority of what he is preaching to them, not on himself, but on the Word of God through these men. And so then, uh, the Word of God, the, the, the words of Scripture need to be remembered. The wisdom of Scripture that gets caution, clarity, and comfort to the believer needs to be remembered. And then in the context of this, the Lord says this about these men. Notice what he says. He says in verse 17, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Be, these be they 
who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Jude's going to give a final word to sum up the kind of men these are using the words of the apostles to say this is who they were talking about. So he's going to give five characteristics of these men. Number one, they are scornful or scoffing. They're mockers, as Peter called them, scoffers, those who mock the idea of the Lord returning. I read some examples of men today. A man wrote an article back in 1982. I didn't write his name down. And it was complete mockery of the return of Jesus Christ. It was published in a well-known magazine in our country, and uh, and he was given all kinds of space and just mocking the idea. Someone else mocked and said, we've been waiting for 3,000 years for the world to come to an end. And mocking. You, you know what? We can look at that. Don't let that throw you. We read that that would happen before those men ever came around. That's exactly what God said would happen. Men that treat the promise of Christ's return like a fairy tale. The Bible forewarned us. That's what's going to happen. Don't let it throw you. So they're scoffers. They're scorners. They despise the truth of Scripture. You know why? Because they don't believe it. They don't believe it. Yet the amazing thing is, you know what some of these, these scoffers and scorners, some of the greatest of them, they're, they're not atheists. They're not agnostics. They are men who claim to be theologians, men who hold divinity degrees. These are the people that come out and say, no, this is that is all a very literal. What they'll do is they ridicule who we would who would the world would call fundamentalists. People who just take the Bible literally, believe that the things the Bible says and what it says it means, and if it's allegorical, it'll tell you so, or figurative, it will tell you so. Others so it's literal. So the story of Jonah and the whale is not an allegory. It's not figurative. It is literal. They mock that and say, no, no, no. May I say this? And I, and I, and I, I can say this with, with certainty. Much of the false doctrine that we have today is through a faulty interpretation of Scripture, an allegorical slash figurative interpretation of Scripture. I can assure you that's how we got Calvinism. And I can assure you that's how we get on millennialism, which is married to Calvinism. And if this is, you say, I don't know what you're talking about. That's fine. Don't know about it. Just believe your Bible and you'll stay away from it. My point is this, that by misinterpreting the Bible, by approaching it with a heart of unbelief, we end up with false doctrines because all along they read a story like the virgin birth and say, we all know that's not possible. Well, of course it's not possible. That's why it's a miracle. Amen. And yet that's the attitude of these men. They're scoffers. They're mockers. They're cynical. And so then he says, in the last time, mockers will come, people who mock the Bible, mock believing in inerrancy and infallibility. Here's what concerns me. And you're hearing a lot of my heart tonight as a pastor and a preacher from the vocational sense. What concerns me is the influence and effect the scoffing and mocking is having inside of what used to be good churches. To where today you will likely be mocked for believing in entire infallibility in a preserved Bible in churches that used to preach that. It's becoming common. That we're getting wise in these days. And it's not, not any mystery that major false doctrines are spreading like wildfire in what used to be fundamentally sound churches. You have all kinds of isms spreading like wildfire. And we won't list a bunch of them, but they always have a man's name attached to the front of it, it seems like, some kind of ism with some fellow's name attached to the front. And uh, the fact is, that's because of a scoffing or mocking attitude. May I say this, though? This is what we're going to get to, not tonight. But we have to be discerning, because you realize not everybody that's caught up in that stuff is an apostate. Not everybody getting caught up in the influence of the apostasy 
are apostates. And that's why we'll get to it. He says making a difference. You've, I've always said you have compassion that makes a difference in a person's life. And that is inferred in the text. Don't misunderstand me. But the word making a difference means to make a distinction and a discernment. We've got to make a distinction between the apostate and those that the apostate influences. We will have people visit this church who have been strongly influenced by apostates. They may not even know it. They have been under the influence of someone who is cynical and skeptical, someone who criticizes the infallibility of Scripture, someone who criticizes in their heart and their mind the miracles of the Bible. Oh, that apostates would be as honest as Thomas Jefferson was. He went through and just cut out all the supernatural works of Jesus Christ because he didn't believe them. He said, I, I appreciate the morals of Christ, appreciate that, but I don't believe in the miracles, so he cut them out of his Bible. <laughs> well, at least he was honest about it. The point would be this, for you and I, when we remember what the Word of God says, it reveals these kind of men, these five characteristics. They're scornful or scoffing. Number two, they are subversive in their lifestyle. Look at what it says. This is mentioned as we read earlier in Second Peter and here in Jude as well. Verse 18, how that they told you there should be mockers, that's the scoffing or the scorn, who would, should walk after their own ungodly lust. And we've dealt with this already, but the driving factor of the lives of these men is lust. They, their, their direction is determined by their passions, not by principles, not by truth, not by righteousness. They, they are relativists, if you would. Uh, they are, you know what? You can become, you, you'll fall for relativism when you want to do what you want to do more than anything else. Then righteousness is just relative to your circumstance. There's no clear-cut path or pattern or principle of righteousness uh, all of a sudden we have situational ethics and situational morals and there are no principles because your ultimate goal is to fulfill your own lust. This is why we may think, how can people be so confused? And today we have a, a time where they are ordaining sodomites to be pastors. How, how do we get there? Well, what happens is you have men who've decided what they want to do and they develop doctrines around their lusts. They develop doctrines that, that become permissive to their lust. That's why they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. They are governed and led and directed by their own ungodly lust. So they are scornful or scoffing in their attitude and words. They are subversive in their lifestyle. They're schismatic in their conduct. Look again at verse 18. By schismatic we mean they divide. They, or verse 19 rather. They separate themselves Verse 18, how that they told you there should be mockers in the lifetime who should walk after their own godly, ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual having not the spirit. How many of you have met somebody who says something like this? Well, there are no good churches out there. I can never join any church. That is not automatically apostate, but it's certainly someone has been influenced by one. Because here's what the word separated themselves means, okay? That's what it means. They who separate, there are people who say, no, I only will do church at home. I don't have anything to do with churches at all. I don't go. I, I don't believe in organized religion. I mean, we've heard that. I believe in organized religion. Here's what, we, here's what we hear. Mockers means a derider, a false teacher, or a scoffer. They who separate themselves mean this, to disjoin uh, by a boundary or figuratively by a party to separate. Um, I was reading up a little bit because the first person came to my mind today was Joseph Smith in reading about this. And his first vision, revelation that is recorded numerous times and disagrees with itself in different places. But nonetheless, his first vision began with him asking God, which church should I join? Should I be a Methodist? 
And God let him know in no uncertain terms, none of them, they're all corrupt, none of them have true doctrine. You know what he did in that moment? Separate himself and said, I uniquely have the truth. I have a truth that no one else has. Or, I have the same truth you have, but I have a superior understanding because of my very close relationship with God. You hear me, this happens all the time. When you've, I remember years ago, starting to read, and I'm not saying the man that wrote this was an apostate, but again, there is at least the influence there. My wife and I were given a book on child training. We got about five pages in, and it says, well, we feel qualified to write this book because our children are grown. They've obviously turned out right, so we obviously did our job right, and now we are qualified to tell you about the mystery we found, the, the, basically the secret we found to raising children that none of you, you know, have known, but we know. And if you'll read our little book, you'll find the secret that we discovered that will transform your life and teach you how to raise perfect children like us. <laughs> I mean, those weren't the very words, but just about, weren't they? I didn't read past that. I was done. Not, I, we don't. The secrets are not secrets. They're right here. Now, we're, we're all imperfect at executing, but the Word of God's right here. We don't, we don't, we need people bring us back to, you know what Jude did for his people? He didn't give them some unique truth. He took them back to the truth they already knew. He said, let me remind you of what you already know. You already know what the Old Testament says, you know what the apostles have said, and you need to hold to that because that's what's true. And so then these men, they separate themselves. It's not wrong to separate, but may I say this? I said this recently. You know what? There, there are folks today that we can't walk together with anymore, but we didn't move. We still believe what we've believed. We believe what they used to believe. And they've moved. And so the idea would be that as you stand on truth, there will be people that move from you, and that will cause you to have to separate. But in essence, the separation occurs because of people abandoning the truth of God's word. And so these are they who separate themselves. They sow discord among the brethren. Romans sixteen seventeen says, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them which do what? Cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Boy, that's a popular verse in the 21st century America. But it's still Bible. Someone comes along and they're starting to cause some kind of a schism because they... Listen now, I... I've seen this enough, and I very rarely say something like that. Seen this enough, though, to know some guy comes in and he thinks that he has a superior understanding of the Bible and you just need to know his unique take on Scripture. Bells, whistles, red flags ought to go off with fireworks included to say there is not that. That's how Mormonism started, and that's how the Jehovah's Witnesses got started. Charles Taze Russell, that's exactly what Ellen White did with Adventism. I've got a take on the Sabbath. The Sabbath has been abandoned, and she had this unbelievable understanding of prophecy. This is how people get drawn away from the truth is by someone who says, I am uniquely fitted to give you the truth outside of what the Bible says. And what you, through the direction of the Holy Spirit and the means that he's given you to understand it, have. And so they separate themselves. They're schismatic in their conduct. Proverbs 6, verses 14 and 19 says that the man who sows discord among brethren is an abomination to God. An abomination. You know what? Doctrine unifies believers, but heresy seeks to separate them. True doctrine unifies God's people. Now, it doesn't unify us with the world, but truth unifies God's people. And so what the apostate does is he comes in and starts developing doctrines that will allow him to fulfill his own lust. And, of course, that appeals to the flesh. I don't know about you, 
There's a lot of people today saying, you know what, you can follow the Lord and, and follow your passions at the same time. Pursue what you want to do as far as money and pursue what you want to do as far as your pleasures and pursue what you want to do. And Jesus just wants you happy. That's because what they believe for their own life rather than what the Bible teaches. So then, anyway, having said all that, these men, they are scornful or scoffing in their attitude and words, subversive in their lifestyle. They pursue their own lusts. They're very vile men, schismatic in their conduct. They are sensual, number four. I said five, but there's four, really. Sensual, comma, not having the spirit. Sensual here, we've already covered their immoral aspect in that they, they, they walk after their own lust. That means they're immoral. In their, in their, and it could be lust for money, lust for, uh, for forbidden behaviors, uh, uh, so on and so forth. But here, dealing with sensual, not having the spirit, it's dealing with the fact that they only operate on the natural senses. They, they have no spirituality about them because they don't have the Spirit of God at all. This is why we say the apostate is absolutely unsaved. He's not somebody that was saved and lost his salvation. He is someone, this is different, you can be saved and be heretical. Okay? You can be saved, get a hold of a false doctrine, cause division in a church because you got, you got out of sorts on your doctrine. You cannot be saved and be an apostate. Apostates do not have the Spirit of God. They only operate on natural senses, meaning they can only repeat what they hear about the truths of God. It does not come from an understanding within. It comes simply from a natural understanding. They are sensual not having the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, if you would, and we're about done for tonight. First point. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. This is all under a call to remember. And under the call to remember, he tells them, remember the words of Scripture Remember the wisdom of Scripture, and it's the wisdom of Scripture that shows that these are the men that the apostles warned of. Scornful men, subversive men, schismatic men, sensual men who do not have the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that, ye, uh, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is... None of his. The fact of the matter is, it is entirely possible for people who know all the religious jargon but have never been born again to be inside the church. Inside churches influencing those around them. So what is the first thing you and I need to do to deal with these who are in the church? They get in a church. They, they've crept in by under a guise of being a Christian. What can we do? Know the Bible. Believe the Bible. Understand the Bible. Hold to the Bible. The light of God's Word will reveal who they are and what they are. And the first thing Jude tells those listening to him is, remember the words of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which words we have in our hands. You and I can remember the exact same words. It do us well to be extremely familiar with Second Peter do us very well to be very familiar with Jude. It's why we're, as a church, you know why we're going through Jude? To obey the admonition of Jude 17. Remember the words. Remember the words. So that when the apostates come round, and they will, and they do, you and I can identify them and say, nope, that's not a genuine person. That's not a genuine servant of God. They are sensual, having not the Spirit, meaning they do not belong to Jesus Christ. They're none of His. They're not playing on his team. They're not on his side, and they never have been. Uh, as one uh, author put it, they've never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They've never been sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
They've never, of course, been filled with the Holy Spirit because they don't have the Holy Spirit. These are unsaved men. As far as I can tell, unsaved men who are not going to get saved. I think, this, as I study my Bible, uh, it seems so very often that the apostate is very likely that one who has blasphemed the Holy Ghost. He has called the Holy Spirit of God a liar. He's defamed, blasphemed the Spirit of God in so many cases. And you and I both know there's no forgiveness for blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. There's a point of no return there. So the call to remember is the first thing. We must remember the words of Scripture. If I ask you today, um, Adeline, do you remember Brad Gore? Think a minute now. You remember Brad Gore? Casey, you remember? Remember his brother Brian? Already? Now, why not? Because you never met him. <laughs> now, I remember them. Here's the thing. You say, why do you say that? You can't remember something you never knew. You've got to get in your Bibles. And this, this group here tonight is. I know that. But the amazing thing with me is I think about Jude. There, there are people who are saved tonight that if someone said, now, you remember, of course, you remember what says over there in Second Peter 3, I never read it. Now, of course, you remember what Isaiah says. Nah, I hadn't got to that one yet. You with me? Can't remember something that's not there. Jude expected the believers he was writing to to know the Scripture so that he said, remember, they knew what he was talking about. 